Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for the opportunity to interview you. You bet. I appreciate it myself. Uh, thanks for coming. Most certainly. Uh, for the audience that don't know about you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Um, I own and manage uh, Whitney Medical Solutions, a small manufacturer of medical and lab supplies uh, in Niles, Illinois. I'm married. I have uh, one daughter and two grandkids, and uh, that's sort of a quick sketch, I guess. And you've been running this for? I've been running this since 1987. Now, what does Whitney do? Uh, we manufacture uh, hospital and, and lab supplies. Uh, we have three primary product lines. One's a line of curettes for removing bone cement during hip and knee replacements. So the typical purchaser is a hospital and the typical user is a, a orthopedic surgeon who's replacing your knee. And when they do that, if it's a cemented joint, then there's extra cement that kind of oozes out when they do the procedure. They need a way to get that off without scratching the surface of the prosthesis. Turns out even some very small scratches can cause the knee to wear a lot faster. So our curettes are plastic and designed to not scratch that prosthesis. So how'd you get into the business? Sort of a family thing. Uh, my dad started a company back in the early 60s uh, with developing and, and marketing medical supplies, primarily through what was then American Hospital Supply, his former company that he was with. Uh, ran it for about 20 years, sold most of it, and the rest of it he kind of gave to the kids. Um, and I eventually bought out my siblings and continued to grow up myself. So obviously you've been running it for quite some time then. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've learned a bit along the way, and I've certainly seen a lot of changes, that's for sure. That's pretty much the premise of my interviews and my show as well, because obviously when I'm talking with business owners, you know, some of them have been running it for quite some time. Some are just getting into the space, and some has been doing it for a long time. And there's been a lot of shift, right? I mean, if you if you think about the way uh, that people communicate, the thing, think about the way they they do marketing or even just sales and operation production. There's a lot of uh, changes have happened. Right? When, when you first asked me about this, I, I started to think about how the technology changes have affected our business. And I can remember back, we had, we had a computer system that was, when my dad first bought it before I, I took over the company, was uh, state of the art. Mm. And they had five megabyte disk drives that were the size of a hat box, literally. <laughs> and I had to take them home every night for an offsite backup. I mean, it was just crazy. We didn't have email, fact, we didn't have a fax, mm -hmm. we didn't have answering machines for the phones or anything. It was just, you had to have somebody covering the phone the entire time. So, how has technology helped you in, in running a business like this? Well, obviously, on the, on the business systems side, it's made a huge difference. You know, the accounting systems, the inventory control, the, the planning, all that kind of stuff. We have a, a quality management system that is primarily um, based in, in technology at this point. And all those are important, are really mission critical for us. But the, the biggest changes in the last 10 to 20 years have been sort of how people communicate in general. You know, mm -hmm. the first the rise of, the, of email and then the internet and um, now social media and all has really has changed how people communicate with their customers mm -hmm. and has, you know, sort of forced us to do so as well. And, and that's one of the things we really enjoy working with you guys on. You guys do a good job with that, helping us do it. And then from your, from your point of view, has this enabled you to, uh, has it given you some competitive advantage from a, a sales and marketing side? I think so, yes. Um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting because as a small company, um, we can do some things that, uh, we can do some things 
uh, on the web that give us a bigger, you know, kind of a little bit bigger feel than necessarily we might be if you just showed up here. You know, we're manufacturers, so we don't have customers calling on us every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do a good job, like you guys have helped us in presenting ourselves uh, publicly, electronically, we can we can make a pretty good impression. Makes sense. And what are some of the lessons you've learned in running a business? Obviously, you inherited a business, which you obviously, uh, you know, yes. you bought, purchased from your yeah. two siblings. But overall, you know, running, like this is your, the first time running a business, yeah. right? So have you had prior business experience before jumping into owning and running? A- um, some. I worked for a while at uh, Polaroid as an engineer. Mm-hmm. My, my undergraduate background is mechanical engineering. And I have a business degree uh, from Northwestern and uh, as, a grad, as a grad student. And I, I spent some time after that working for Granger and their planning department and all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up, you know, like a lot of kids of, who grow up in small businesses, I learned, sort of you learn by osmosis, right? Mm-hmm. I, my first job was, was working for my dad, packing mm-hmm. soaps in little plastic bags a zillion years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start, uh, you know, you sort of start the, the business it's kind of almost seeps into you when you're when you're raised in it, and you you have a different approach to things than you do if you're just uh, you know start out as an employee somewhere. It's interesting you mentioned you worked at Polaroid. I don't even know if that company is still around. Um, my impre- the the real Polaroid is gone. Uh-huh. I mean, you know the the, the, one that the instant photo, the picture, right? Yeah. Exactly the photos and stuff, and the technology behind that was just unbelievable Back then, yeah. um, at the time. But my understanding is that they've licensed the name, and so every once in a while you'll run across a product like a. I don't know. I I think there was. I think I saw some, uh, some like thumb drives or something yeah. like that that had Polaroid on them, and I, I'm pretty sure that's just a licensing of the name. Same thing with Kodak as well. I mean, they were the industry leader. From what I, I heard, they were the ones to even introduce digital camera, but they thought it was going to affect their right. the film sales, so they decided not to bring it to market. And but what happened in the company? Right, exactly. And that that's a perfect example, kind of, of how technology has just you know tends to revolutionize how we do things. Mm-hmm. The Whole idea that you know the basic that was basically a chemical process, right? Mm-hmm. It was exposing silver crystals to, to light and then using different dyes and things to to get the the image that you wanted on a piece of paper ultimately, um, and that's been completely replaced by uh, basically electronic mm-hmm. uh, you know electronic te- techniques that don't rely on any of that chemistry stuff. It's so. crazy to imagine we carry a ten megapixel camera in our pocket, right? That has emails, <laughs> no. that has communication. And I know. Camera. When I was at Polaroid, I, I actually had uh, sort of an interest in photography. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of the um, that was what our business was, and so I, I had an interest in just taking photos and all. Not so much instant photos, but mm-hmm. you know, I did have a nice thirty-five millimeter camera and all that kind of stuff. And um, and then you know, I, it, I, and I still have a nice thirty-five millimeter camera. Now I have a digital one, mm-hmm. but I hardly ever use it. I, I remember some famous photographer was asked, "What's the best kind of camera?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "It's the one well, you have with you." <laughs> So. Screw it. It's crazy. So obviously, you learned some lessons from from running a business. What are some le- you know some key lessons that you've learned that you would say, hey man, I wish you know. Yeah. Um, one one thing I think is well, a couple of sort of tactical things that mm-hmm. I think are important that I've heard from other CEOs that I've kind of embraced. Um, nice people make a difference. We mm-hmm. tend to have nice people working for us. And I remember that I remember reading, I don't remember who the CEO was, but the New York Times does a thing every mm-hmm. Sunday called the Corner Office. And they interviewed somebody, and the quote was, Nice goes a long way around here. Mm-hmm. And I said, Yeah, that's kind of, I, I think that's true too. I mean, it's, you know, you spend a lot of your time at work, and if you don't, if it's an unpleasant environment, then it's not worth being there. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it's important to have 
uh, it's important to have sort of the to have people who take initiative, mm-hmm. um, and and that, I, that's what I look for in, in employees is people who will move the ball ahead with or without being told. You know, you give them the parameters of what we where we want to get to, and then they take us there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the problems you try to you know with a small business, a lot of times everybody has to wear a lot of hats, and it's easy to fall into the trap as as the leader of just doing the thing rather than getting somebody else to do it. And the problem is, you might be the best one who could actually do it, but if you you're the only one who can do it, then that means that you're never going to get any bigger than what you can do. Yeah, you can't <laughs> scale if all your if you are the pretty much the bottleneck. Right. I mean, I think if you think about it, most businesses don't really understand. I mean, they invest in their in their resource. The biggest resource you have is the human capital, right? And then right. sometimes they go cheap on hiring the cheap labor, and then they pay for it long time right. because you had a person, a poor performer, that was just not doing what they sh- you know they, that they could, and basically right. holding the company back from even in getting ahead. And I mean, I've from a sales side as well, I've seen. You know, when you sit across from, you know, business leaders who are just holding company back because they have a very limiting belief about what the company should do or how they should change. Right. And they're afraid of change. And it all affects the company as a whole, whether you're private or public, regardless yeah. of what the, the company structure is. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So I think, like, you're right about that. It's nice people, yes. And then also the ones that can really move the ball you know, move the ball right. ahead. And, and then I guess the other thing is that it's important to have an idea about where you're going. You know, um, they talk about mission statement, and I think sometimes that can be a little trite, mm-hmm. but it is important that you that you have a vision for where you want to be at, a, at a various points in time, right? Mm-hmm. I want us to be at this point by the end of the year. I want us to be at this point by five years from now. Mm-hmm. And if people understand, and then you need to communicate that well mm-hmm. and inspire people. Um, and if you do, then they, they can see where the goal is and much more happens. Now, you don't always get where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, another sort of axiom that I've learned is that everything in business always takes longer than you expect. Mm-hmm. Nothing takes less time than you expect. Everything takes more time than you expect. Have you but, followed any specific business systems like entrepreneurs uh, operating system like EOS or anything like that? Um, like traction? No, not really. That's not, that's not sort of my thing. I, I will say that our... Our quality management system is a total quality management system kind of philosophy behind mm-hmm. it, um, you know, with continuous improvement and that kind of thing. But I haven't, I, I wouldn't say that we have, a, have followed a particular management philosophy. Makes sense. And, and in terms of, you know, someone who's getting started in, in a business, somebody who's just an entrepreneurial-minded person uh, and then looking for ways to get started, what are some advice that you have, some, somebody who's young in, in their business career? Um, yeah, the, I have one particular piece of advice, which is, um, if you, you need to have a customer, mm-hmm. um, you don't, the, the thing that you have, you can't develop something with just a generic thought of a need in mind. You need to have somebody who's going to buy that thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're going to wind up, uh, you're going to wind up spending a lot of resources and never getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, kind of mentored some people from time to time. And sometimes they really need you know, somebody, I want to own a business. Okay, great. And you've got all these great systems that you're going to set up and everything. But if you don't have a product that's designed to meet a particular customer's need, mm-hmm. then you've got a real problem. Yeah, so actually working backwards almost, right? Yes. So you really want to define your 
and customer first, right. then and, develop right. a product who's, that meets that. Who's the that. customer? What's the need you're trying to meet? That's Correct. the thing you need to know. And once you solve that, then there there goes half the problem because right. you already know who, who your ideal customer is and what their need is. And then you can even you know specify your messaging you know strategy and all the, all the methods and channels that you would use to get to that customer as well, right? right? Because some some challenge most people have is they're 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 everything to everyone, so they're no one to anyone, right? Yeah. They they don't yeah. really have a, a very defined product or a defined market that they can penetrate. And and the other thing I guess, or another thing that's related to that is that um, you need to have a value proposition, and you need to have you need to be able to define to yourself and to your customers what is the reason that they're going to choose you over somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now you don't, it helps to have something unique, you know, unique IP or just product that nobody else has patented this or copyrighted that would be great. Mm-hmm. But not everybody has that. It's um, it, sometimes your, your product may not be all that different, but you need to differentiate yourself somehow. So it might be in the service level that you do, or it might be in the pricing that you've got set up or some other means of differentiating yourself in a way that the customer cares about. Mm-hmm. Most certainly. And obviously you're, you know, running a business, you have employees, you have a lot of other pressing priorities, customer needs, and things of that nature. How do you stay focused? Are there any specific productivity hacks that you have to stay stay on oh, task? I'm, a, I'm kind of a list guy. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to make lists of things that need to get done and then kind of check them off. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably my number one. And and, and it's it, it's so easy with a small company where you are wearing a lot of hats um, to get, you know, you're on this thing and then this other fire pops up and you have to run over there and do something about that. Um, and then to get and then to re- get back to whatever it was you were working on, particularly the stuff that isn't urgent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this distinction between importance and urgency, and what tends to dominate is urgent, even yeah. if it's not that important. Um, so the, uh, having a list of where was I? Oh yeah, I'm working mm-hmm. on this one. Uh, it helps get me focused back when I need to. You know, the other concern most businesses have, business owners have, is you know, like hey, I, no one can do it as good as I do, right? So they often often have a d- difficulty of delegating. They just don't yes. know how can I hand this over to somebody else. So they yeah. often go and run off to the urgent and put aside the important that only you can do. Right. So has there been any occasions where you figured out how do you actually? What were some of the things that you proactively did so you well, can delegate? Well, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation about this with uh, one of my employees who's I'm working with to develop some of his management skills. And the um, the idea of delegation has two components to it. And a lot of times people don't give both. Um, there's the responsibility, right? I'm making you in charge of this thing. Mm-hmm. And you're you're the one who's going to suffer if it doesn't happen the way you know if it doesn't happen right, but they don't get they don't give them the authority at the same time, mm-hmm. and you need to give uh, you need to give somebody both the authority that goes along with that responsibility to actually make the call and do whatever it takes to get uh, to get done. It was um, uh, the uh, I don't know if you remember the the book uh, In Search of Excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a management book from I don't know twenty plus years ago, probably now. Um, but they focused on companies that at the time were particularly excellent. And they had, um, they had a, a couple of them. I'm trying to remember. Uh, there was one, FedEx was one of them. And this was back in the days when FedEx was new. And they, you know, everything went through one hub every night, even if it was going to the next floor on the same building. And so it was crucial that you get that stuff to the, to the sort every night. Mm-hmm. And they had, apparently the story was that they had a, um, in one case, they had a driver who somehow didn't have the key to the box to pick up the stuff. So somehow he got the box off the mountings and put the entire box <laughs> in the back of the truck. Another example was some technician. They had a big snowstorm on the top of a mountain in Colorado or something, and it had knocked out some communications link. And the only way that this guy could get it fixed was to hire a helicopter. Mm. 
And this guy, he's just like a lowly technician. And he went out and he hired a helicopter. And sure enough, you know, which a lot of companies, he'd be fired for that, to, mm-hmm. you know, incurring that kind of unbudgeted expense. And there, they, they, you know, they celebrated the fact that he took this initiative and stuff. Because he has the responsibility and the, and authority. the authority to do it, right? Yeah, and I think uh, Ritz Carlton does some similar things too. Is I think that they right? have, yeah, basically they have, from what I heard, they give them a certain budget. Like you can choose something to do up to like twenty five hundred dollars, even if you're like a low level employee. Oh, so someone, someone who stays there at the night and they say, well, the TV doesn't work. They don't have an extra TV. That they can actually go and make it spend yeah, up to twenty five hundred dollars to make sure that customer is happy, right. right? So it's not just that hey, you have the responsibility, but I'm giving you the authority, which is a, a exactly. great concept. I, I, my basic philosophy is, um, if there's a problem, fix it. The best way that you can figure out, based on what you know about us and our resources and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, but just you know, fix that problem. If it's not the perfect way to fix it, we'll talk about it later. But I'm not going to hammer you for for the way you chose it. If you took the initiative to go fix it, we'll talk about. How to how to do that next time, mm-hmm. but um, but I'll, I will celebrate the fact that you fixed that. And I think it's just like being a good parent, right? I mean, you can't uh, predict every scenario or decision that your child has to make, but you give them good advice, and then you let them make some mistakes, and then you advise right. them on how to avoid that for the future. Exactly. It's almost like that. And I know you have some hobbies. Uh, you do some I stuff do. outside of business. Yeah. You're a pilot. I'm and, a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have. A, uh, I'm a pilot. I learned to fly back when I was in high school. Uh, got my license right after I graduated from high school, and so I've been flying a long time. Uh, my wife and I own uh, one and a quarter planes. We own a uh, an amphibious flying boat mm-hmm. that allows us to land on the water when we want to, and also uh, and also on the land. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're also quarter share owners in another plane that's a little more practical, got more space and carrying capacity and stuff. How'd you get into to flying? Um, it's funny. I just. I just was always interested in airplanes when I was little. Mm-hmm. I remember going to air shows with my dad, and I, I remember my first flight, I must have been like two or three, very little, uh, down in Bloomington, Illinois, with uh, my grandfather, who used to fly. He didn't have his license, but he'd, he'd taken lessons, and he really enjoyed flying. And so he, he took us out, and his buddy took us up in his airplane. And I remember looking over the edge, down in all these little tiny airplanes down on the, on the ground. And, um, and that just sort of stuck with me. And a, a buddy of mine in high school and I talked about how we really were both interested in so we sort of it was kind of a mutual dare challenge to mm-hmm. to get our, our license i actually got my the way i got permission from my folks was um i went to my mom and, and she said well ask your father but little did i know that she, she knew more than i did i went and talked to him and said dad um you know what would you, what what have you always wanted to do learn to fly right mm-hmm. want to learn to fly with me and he said mm-hmm. and I, to my surprise he said yeah let's do it mm-hmm. so we wound up uh, the three of us my, my buddy my dad and i all uh, took flying lessons together Nice, nice. I mean, would you give recommendation to business owners on things that they can do outside of just the day-to-day business operation to keep them sharp, keep their mind um, focused? I, I definitely think that it helps to to read about business, you know, new business concepts from time to time, mm-hmm. um, which I t- which I tend to try to do. Uh, but I think it also is important to get away from the office and mm-hmm. sort of clear your mind. Uh, I actually uh, I, I like music. I mm-hmm. like making music. I, I'm not very good, but I play a number of instruments and I sing. My wife and I uh, met in a chorus one mm-hmm. time. And, uh, and those kind of activities where you can sort of use the other, you know, there's a lot of left brain thinking that goes on in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to exercise the right brain, too, so you sort of get that, uh, that, that integrated uh, approach to life. Most certainly. Any parting wisdom? Parting wisdom. 
Um, hire good people and uh, train them well is probably the best advice I can give anybody in business. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Steve. Appreciate the opportunity to interview you. Great. Thanks, yeah. Samuel. Appreciate it. Awesome. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.